0: It's time for the show that
1: brings the magic right to your speakers. Ears up. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Ears up podcast. And man, I'm jazzed. I'm excited today, Eric, number one, because uh, I I didn't die choking on my own saliva before the show. That was well, good. That was,
0: yeah, that's another one to add to the list.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm alive. I'm breathing still a bit, barely, uh, much to uh, probably a lot of people's chagrin, but I'm doing it. Um, but we have a special guest on the show tonight, Eric. We have Aaron Goldberg. Uh, he is an author, and he wrote uh, the book that I was speaking of a couple months ago, Buying Disney's World. And uh, But he's also written a ton of other books, which I haven't read, but uh, they look awesome, and I can't wait to dig into them. Um, so we're going to chat with Aaron about Buying Disney's World, talk about the process that Walt sort of went through, or, I mean, sort of didn't really. <laughs> um, seemed kind of hands-off, but but that's, you know, that's Walt. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of wrap about that. Taryn's going to join us here in a little bit, of course, after, uh, you know, her, her motherly duties are done, which is, uh, I was hanging out with my friends online the other day and they're like, how, how do you get out of doing bedtime with Alice? And I go, well, I don't know. My wife's just awesome. Like, like, man, we get told all the time. Like, I don't care. You know, like I go, Alice really likes Taryn to put her to bed. She doesn't really like me to do it. She likes mommy. She likes mommy singing songs. She doesn't like the songs I sing. (laughs) Um, which is a lot of death metal and um and uh like yeah we just get told uh i don't care do it i don't know That's
2: all around right yeah
1: yeah Yeah. like i guess you're
2: yeah Yeah, i guess you're just lucky i
0: mean i'm not quite sure i I usually try to put the dogs to to bed but uh they don't really care either um and neither they, they don't respond to either of us so it doesn't matter at all
1: they're autonomous beings (laughs) they're <laughs> just waiting man anyway, Aaron, let's get to you, man. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for for joining us. I reached out to you on your uh on your website, and uh to be honest with you, I thought I was just gonna go into the ether you know and just be absorbed by the spam filter or whatever. But you responded really quickly, which made me feel good. And you said uh, that you were familiar with the show; you heard about it uh, watching or listening to Spectral Radio. Yes, and you still oh, wow. and you still came on. One hundred. So I appreciate that. You were, it motivated you were, me even more. <laughs> good old Jeremy over there at Spectral. Are you friends with Jeremy? Do you know Jeremy? Or are you just listening? Uh,
2: I, we follow each other on social media. Okay. Uh, but I stream it often, just nice. because the background. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, it's great background.
1: Yeah, yeah. That kid puts yeah. so much heart and soul into that. I mean, you talk about passion projects. I mean, obviously, writing yes. books is very passionate project. It's very laborious, but that kid just goes and he does full programming specials and does all Amazing. the research, like. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I love that. But uh, and, there, and
2: there are other Disney things to stream, but I always go to his. It's just like spot on because he also does a lot of the parks abroad. I like that. Yeah, it's yeah. very
1: polished and very, uh, yeah, abroad yep. at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you the, uh, the the basic question here. How did you get involved loving Disney World so much? I mean, your your books are. Uh, I mean, you have one Disneyland, you want to on, uh, meet the Disney brothers, the wonders of Walt Disney World. Uh, so you're 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 sort of Disney World focus. How did that come about? So I'm an East Coast
2: guy, but it all basically, basically started with Walt. That's sort of where my interest, you know, really lies and resonates. Um, but I, I, you know, I guess Walt Disney World is, you know, the easy default because that's where, you know, I would always go where I grew up going and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but I think the whole fascination and what led me to, you know, researching and reading writing about Walt about Disney was was is Walt um how do you not walk into Disneyland or or Walt Disney World and not like just sort of like distill it down and be like wow this like you know I hate to say one man's dream but it came from what you know this is the you know what you know I I went to Marceline and I was you know on the family farm and it's like how does how do we get from here to there and to present day it's, it's, it's crazy.
1: It is oh, incredible. Yeah. Incredible. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I You're a robot not. or are you a robot, Eric? Which one mm-hmm. of us is running the algorithm today? <laughs> and to create things that just things did not exist before. True. Right. Yeah. You know, and you sound a lot like me where, uh, the history of Disneyland this is how we got started in, the, in this, doing this podcast is walking into Disneyland as an adult for, you know, the first time and you go, wow. And you just get so engrossed in the history. Like, how did this come about? Right. What was the process? And how does it work? how do How do you make all of this work so flawlessly? And right. in Disney World, that story, like you get into in the book, is phenomenal. And it's it is you know I don't want to say it's like a spy thriller, but it kind of is in a certain way. There's twists and turns that yeah. you don't expect. And and I said this when I was when I was first talking about your book, Your Own, By the way, hi. Oh, oh that's okay. I'm oh, sorry. That's all right, man. <laughs> Just throw you in the fire. Why not? Um, when I first got the book, I was like, uh, you know, I'll be honest with everybody. I. Th- didn't think that this would be very exciting because it's about real estate essentially. And then I got into it, and I can't put it down because it's not a because what you what you did with the book. And I was telling you a little bit before we started what you did with it isn't just like tell a story about things that happen. You you gave a a, a lot of context to why they were happening, and you gave a lot of background into the people who was were doing the happenings. <laughs> right? If that makes yeah. sense. You got a lot of like full not just quotes you know a lot of books will take here's a quote or here's a little paragraph from someone or whatever you have full like transcripts of meeting and you go through whole speeches and you give the whole thing like five six eight paragraphs about walt talking about epcot in his own words the whole thing it's just here here it is and yeah. it changed a lot of what i thought the book was about because it's not just about this is a this is a, a a land deal book it's much more than that it's about it's it is a it's a journey that these people went on oh. And I mean, this could this could be this could be a movie the way, you know what I mean? mean, Like a Coen Brothers movie.
2: (laughs) Write it that way. I deliberately wrote it with in mind of the far fetched million to one shot of this actually could be a movie.
1: It could. Absolutely. But
2: it could be. I mean, I I mean, I'm biased, obviously. But um, it was a hard book to write in the sense that the subject matter and the vast amount of notes that I was able to pour through. I mean, it's boring. Some of it's boring. Um, some of it's not boring. But how do you tell a cohesive story? Like, where do you start? Like, that was my biggest thing. Like, I sat on these notes. So I had the notes from Robert Foster, who was, the you know, the attorney who worked for Disney, who went and basically started collecting and putting the land together. Mm-hmm. I had his notes. He donated his notes to the University of Central Florida's archives. I sat on these notes forever. I think probably 2014, 2015, wow. 2016, somewhere. I mean, we're talking like that, that far back. And I always wanted to write it, but it seemed so daunting. Like, I didn't know where to begin. How do I tell the story? I don't want to include too much Disneyland, but yet you have to include Disneyland. I don't want to retell certain things because I feel like that's a way to lose somebody's, you know, interest and attention. Um, and then COVID hit. And I was just like, all right, we're all locked down. We're all home. <laughs> them- I'm going to do this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might as that's well. That's basically how that it motivated me to, I'm just going to do it now. That's it.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So, how do you how do you distill those notes? How did you do that to find a starting point? What do you do?
2: I I basically created the starting point myself. Like, I I I knew I I basically the the notes were the middle of the book. The the notes were the beef of the Mm book. Okay. So, in my head, it's like I have to create the beginning and I have to create the end. And where do you draw the line for the end? That's a tough one. So, I just left it at basically you know opening day. You know, the month of October in seventy one. And then I was like, well, how do you make this all start? So. I wanted to include that actually, you know, the Disney family has roots in Central Florida and Howard North of um, Walt Disney World. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's a, you know, that's a prime, that's that's where we're starting. That's where we're digging the story. And then I just started to cobble things together and try to make it cohesive. And and then you pull a little bit here and then you have to do some research and, you know, research on other folks and make it, you know, sort of make everything seem like it works. And apparently it did.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love how it starts. You know, it says by 1966, the world's population came in at three point three nine five billion. The United States is made up of one hundred and ninety-six point six million of that total. Here are a few other numbers for you from 1966. Two hundred and forty million people saw a Disney movie that year. (laughs) Just crazy to me. A hundred million people a week watched a Disney television show. Eighty million people read a Disney book. Fifty million listened to a Disney record. One hundred fifty million read a Disney comic strip, and seven million visited Disneyland. It drew me in. So that's that's
2: one of those. Without sounding like a jackass, that's one of the like this book. Had I not put together previous books and had enormous amounts of material and enormous amounts of quotes, and I, like over the years I would buy, um, I would buy like like packets like that would come up on auction from the studio. Like I bought like a new hire packet basically from like the 1960s wow. and you know, a couple hundred pages. And in within these, these um documents are tons of facts, tons of quotes, tons of information. So it's like, okay, now I got to go back into all this. I mean, I literally have Rubbermaid tubs filled with paperwork Wow! and it's, I would just go back and I sat. So I, how do I, to be like the, the hardest thing is starting a chapter and ending a chapter. So how do we start this? What's how big is Disney? I mean, you know, h- how monumental was it at the time? So I'm going to look through and I find some stuff. And, you know, like those were those were those statistics are,
1: are crazy. It is kind of like just, it's kind of like putting the Beatles into context for Gen Z right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because you don't you don't really know. You go to the park, you go, oh, OK, uh, you know, cool. There's a an old guy who smoked a lot who made this and that's fun. Great. But, right. you know, how do I get more popcorn? I'm You know, refill my popcorn. But back in the day, this was not this was. You know, I don't even know a, a, a an analogy for it. it was well, like the Beatles, I guess. Walt was that kind of visionary, but instead of working with music, he worked with art. Yeah, I mean, not the I mean, music, but so
2: art. But if you were, yeah. you know, thirty years old in the sixties, you know, you know, what are you now? Like, you know, the to try, like as you just said, to try and explain this to the the generation coming up. It's like, you know, TV. Well, no internet, right? I mean, right. TV was three channels plus whatever you get locally. <laughs> So, most people are watching TV that are watching Disney yeah. or watching this in some capacity.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. What fascinates me about the book is that it's also not a lot of like what I'll call Walt fluff, where right. you, you get a lot of people who write about Walt like he is just the second coming and he's a genius and he was not faulted and he knew exactly what was going on at all times. And, you know, he's a human. We have facets, right? But and you take some of those and you humanize Walt in a way that he still revered and still uh, knew what to do and still was was very much involved in the planning. I mean, you go from uh, we will dig into it a little bit, we, you know, we're talking about the group of people that he got together to buy the land. And then, you know, he comes back and they go, hey, we need to figure out how to manage all this land. We have Reedy Creek. We go, whatever. You have to then sell it to Walt. Well, it turns out Walt had already thought about that and made a whole friggin video on it. So right. he was like he was very sort of hands off when he needed to be because I think yeah. his ethos was very much that of i 'm going to pay people to do the thing that they can do better than I can, and then i 'll do right. what I do is plan and make stuff like make a make a film and then uh, and then it all comes together in the end and I like that, where I think some other people might have taken that and gone well Walt knew all the way from the very beginning to the very end, and it was all planned out and went exactly according to plan and it didn't but it doesn't mean that he was at fault or whatever it's just that's what it's a it's a giant land deal
2: everything is so monumental so even just think about what was going on at the time for him i don't even say personally but like professionally so you know we have new york we have the world's fair we have mary poppins we have colossal things going on we still have disneyland so there were you know and i think basically what you allude to or what you what you're saying is i 100% agree so he you know in many ways he was hands off However, he knew what he wanted, and he knew if something wasn't right, he was so you know Robert Foster at one point pitching land near Daytona by the water, the Tomoka Track, and it had everything he wanted, and he was and Walt shut it down immediately. I'm not competing with the water. I don't want that land. You're way off. We need to come back. You got to come back down towards I four and nine. You know, I mean, he knew so, and he trusted everything. You know, he. I think one of the things that he you know was really good at, or more than really good, but really, really exceptional at, was. He had the idea, found the talent, motivated the talent.
3: The talent went after it, did what he wanted to do, and he just sort of oversaw and put everything together. Yeah,
2: I think that's you know we see that. I mean, you go back to Mickey Mouse, you can go back to the Nine Old Men, you can go back to you know the visionary, and, and you know even just putting the book part of the books together. Like I hate, I hated to speak for him. I I, I mm-hmm. always do. I never want to speak for him. So I, and sometimes I force in quotes because I want you to hear it from him. And I could pull quotes and get quotes that sort of tell you that he was not happy with Disneyland like when it opened you know you know the, you know let's say three years posted open opening and what pops up around um so i'm i'm not going to tell you that because everybody's already told you that but let's hear it from him <laughs> yeah well and,
1: and i didn't I really can give you
2: i could give you like eight quotes which is i think if something like i gave six or eight quotes and just said you know i don't have to tell you that he wasn't happy with it here this is what he says about mm-hmm. Our <laughs> sequels, what he says about Disneyland, what he says about giving up power and control. And-
1: yeah. So here, here's this quote on page 12, which I um, highlighted. It says, One of the things uh, actually you say an entire cottage industry popped up outside of Disneyland and Walt disliked every iota of it. And this is from Walt. One of the things I've learned from Disneyland is to control the environment. Without that, we get blamed for the things that someone else does. When they come here, they're coming because of integrity that we've established over the years. And they drive for hundreds of miles. And the little hotels on the fringe jump their rates three times. I've seen it happen and I just can't take it because, I mean, it reflects on us. I just feel a responsibility to the public when I go into this thing that we must control that. And when they come into the so-called world that we will take the blame for what goes on. He knew it. And I think right under there you say a second rate Las Vegas, as he often it. It doesn't sound like he really enjoyed the outskirts of his little world that he built. No. Yeah. I mean,
2: you know, Disneyland was his muse. Not to jump books, but not, not to plug another book, but please do. Yeah. I, so I released the book, called Presenting Disneyland, a couple months ago. I think in when it released in July. Oh, nice. um, oh wow. And the last page of the book as a quote from Walt in so what so that book's basically I came across um about a hundred and thirty some odd slides from Disneyland's opening day. Never seen, never published. It was a Disney studio employee who was invited to opening day. Um these slides were shot in color. No, Disney didn't even take the photos in color. Um, I acquired them from the family, had them restored, had them digitized. And I put them out in a book, and I a coffee table book, and I matched. Basically tried to, I didn't want to tell the Disneyland story, and I didn't want to take away from the photos. So basically tried to match photos with content from around opening time. The last photo of the book is a picture of the exit from opening day. And the quote that I include from Walt says, somebody asks him, do you think you could replicate this somewhere else? would you replicate this somewhere? So I'm going to, you know, butcher it, but this is basically just, <laughs> okay. and he says, the only place this would ever work is Florida in 55. So he, he there was always, you know, the, you know I, I got, I think the wheels were always turning. I think a lot of the things were, it wasn't necessarily about, um I think it's like almost like the thrill of the chase. Like he likes to, He'd like to do these projects. So this project is done. Now what's next? It's the yeah, journey. I love the park. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I need something more now. I need something else. I did this. Nobody thought I could do it. Um, and I did it. And now I think I could actually do it better.
1: He was a shark, man. He just, he had to catch, keep, keep swimming. Gotta go. Keep going. Keep yep. going. Until he couldn't. And even yep. then he was pissed. You know, I'm doing some research for a, um, a show on our Patreon Um about his uh about his time in the hospital it's it's actually looking at where the um conspiracy theory of Walt's frozen body came from and all that whole thing and um you know i'm reading about this his stay in the hospital for like two weeks after surgery and he's like i need to get out of here and i think you know going to the hospital was convenient for him because it was right across the street but i think it was also worse for him because it was right across the street you could see his studio going i need to be there i need to get going and get back at it you can't sit That's and... still yeah yeah, yeah I, really would, I would psychologically would be terrible yeah
2: how does he not want to get up and go run across the street
1: i'm sure he did
4: and especially yeah. because like let's just be honest he is quite a controlling guy he wants to control everything every aspect of what he has his hands in and so to be across the street that had to be very hard
2: yeah it's like a tease.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
1: In your book, you mentioned uh, a couple of little things about what came after Disneyland but before Disney World. Uh, one of them it was mentioned really briefly. We we almost had a a park in West Palm Beach. Yes.
2: Yeah. Is that what so, you're referring
1: to with the I don't want to compete with the land yeah, or with the water? So, Sorry.
2: So that was um, that. I think that land is now the PGA Tour, like the Professional Golf mm-hmm. Association. That's their land. Um, but it would have been um a it was sort of he didn't own Walt didn't own the land. Um, it was pitched to him. They sort of wanted a city of the future. Um, they wanted him to get involved. There would have been a park, you know, you know, a theme park. Um, but again, it went back to control, wouldn't have had control the way he wanted. Too many other parties were involved. Um, I think NBC was one of the folks, there was a, 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 his name totally escapes me. There's another, you know, big wig money person. Um, and, and I said that, you know, as you read about the, in the notes about this, um The whole basically Roy's takeaway from that he went down to see it. His takeaway from it was he was really impressed that the limousine he was riding in through the through the land through the through the you know the the you know undeveloped land yeah. had air suspension. <laughs> that was his. So that tells you what they really thought about the project. So he was like, "Oh, this limo had air suspension.
1: This limo's great." Yeah, <laughs> I love this so <laughs> well, That's much. sort of all you
2: needed to know about that one. <laughs> well, I, but, wanna... I appreciate my
0: one of my local uh attempts here. The, the Denver um, Celebrity Sports Center. Yes. <laughs> That's You're, something yeah, there, that go. I didn't hear about until I moved out here. And I, I happened across it in something about, you know, extinct Denver. And then to see it in your book and see more, de- so much more detail. Like to imagine that bowling was so huge that they built an 80-lane <laughs> bowling right, alley.
2: <laughs> right. I, listen, I was in Walt Disney World maybe like three, month, three months ago. And someone had a t-shirt on for it. And I was like, oh, that's a hardcore that's that's a fan yeah
1: Yeah. man i love esoteric shirts that nobody buys except me (laughs) (laughs) you really do i really (laughs) i really do um let's talk a little bit about the cia operative uh who was sort of in charge of getting the team together you know i've always heard that well walt had connections with the government or whatever but it wasn't really like that right it was sort of how did they know each other
2: so the so roy calls their attorneys in new york city Mm -hmm says you know we need we want to do we're going to do a project in florida we need somebody on the ground um we also need them to keep their mouth shut (laughs) uh who can you sort of guide us to the founder of that law firm was basically the founder of the oss which was a precursor to the cia um wild bill donovan was his name don
1: so it doesn't sound like a real name by the
2: way right Yeah. yeah so that that's the referral that gets them to florida um Wild Bill Donovan worked, well, who worked under him was Paul Hallowell. Mm-hmm. And Paul was also a OSS agent, eventual CIA agent, and um, basically ran CIA throughout Asia, um, had shill, like, insurance companies and banks that, you know, if you dig further into Paul, fascinating guy, they would run guns, they would run money, drugs, through his stuff, through around the world.
1: Um, yeah, you mentioned here that uh, uh, colleagues from those days recall that Mr. Hellwell then a colonel, regularly used to buy information with five-pound shipments of opium. Yes, yeah, it's, I love it's such a shocking statement because it's like, I do you think Walt knew the extent of what was going on, or he's just like, no, he can be quiet, he, he's yeah. good to go.
2: So it's interesting. So Paul Howell's daughter read the book. No idea, I knew was, you know, I, I, I had no idea. I got an email from her. Uh, I was a little nervous. Sure. I mean, all that stuff is factual. I mean I did my due diligence and I, you know, I I it's salacious and I don't really want to sell something on being silly, but you have to include it. How do you not include this?
1: It's a fascinating little tidbit.
2: So she sends me an email and she and I would and she says, Hey, would you like to talk? Would you, you know, send you my number, let's let's talk. And I was like, absolutely she's you know, and wonderful. I don't know how old Anne's Anne's maybe sixties, seventies. Um,
1: so not, a, I, not really, a threat. She's not threatening. Not threat. okay. no. <laughs> you can take her. But she's still in the States. You know, we're still,
2: we're, we're still. Um, so, you know, I apologize. I said, and listen, I wasn't trying to like sully your father's name. I wasn't trying to like, tra- you know, you know, be scandalous or, you know, put things in. But it was a fact. I mean, the facts were who he was. And without Paul oh, Hellowell, Walt Disney World does not get done, does not come to fruition whatsoever. Wow. He was that important. Um, And I said, you know, it, everything I read said, you know, that he was like the, the paymaster for the Bay of Pigs. So, I, you know, I felt strong and I did Freedom of Information Act and I got some documents and blah, 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 blah. And she says, Aaron, he was the paymaster for the, the, the Bay of Pigs. We lived in Moral Gangles. I remember the night. He wasn't. Wow. Yes. So, you know, so we're talking about like a guy in the 1960s helping Walt Disney acquire land, trying to topple Cuba. <laughs>
1: talk about a busy man these two guys were too busy that's what it was
2: and 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 they became very very close friends like walt and paul and roy she said they would come over to the house they all sometimes would actually spend the night and you know she as i was kid i had no idea what was you know i just knew walt disney was in my house but um they were they were they were more than business associates at that point they were they became friends they were you know they were you know valued each other and you know it wasn't it's not like you could go google somebody and you know, figure out. You know, hey, he's so he's you know whatever he is, but obviously, yeah. Walt knew enough to know that this guy got things done, and he one hundred understand got everything done because it wasn't for him. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't happening.
1: I feel like those are the people who you don't ask too many questions about, anyway. <laughs> right? You don't want to know.
2: Right? And those are people like that don't <laughs> exist. Fair. Like That's we, these like, people in this in the, this thing, agent, they just don't exist. Like he was somebody who just was is a fascinating man i talked to Anne, you know maybe once or twice a week here and there we, we stay in really? touch and she sent me um oh, that's cool. some of his his diary when he was in world war ii and what he would write back and fascinating <laughs> like someone needs to do a book and a movie on him he's uh, just it's beyond disney it's so it's really interesting stuff
1: well you you've had nothing to do now yeah
2: get started seriously. you're already building <laughs> she, uh I, she's like i don't know anything as i said to her my gang like, we have conversations I, you know she's like aaron I had no idea. I had no idea. Just, we didn't know anything. I mean, here. more. I found out more when he when he passed.
1: That's always the way. I think that's that. That's the generation. Yes. You know, the the, the greatest generation was at like World War II, or you know, well, Korea was in the seventies, but still, even then, it's like you yeah. just don't talk about it. Don't bring it home to your family. Nobody knows yeah. about it. And then after, you know, afterwards, like and my he, my grandpa okay. was in World War II. Yeah, and um, you know, he was uh, you know, flying rescue missions or whatever. And my uncle, who's like, he's like, I, I don't know. He never yeah. ever talked about it. He, I still don't know to this day. And you can like look him up a little bit online now and sort of see, but you, there's no counts, right? There's no like, I flew yeah. in, went to this island, picked these people. Like, there's no, there's no writings. There's no diary. There's no nothing. Like, sort of a shame in a way too. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's because it's a huge part of history. that there's so many stories to tell. Yeah, and you know, so I think one of the you know the interesting things about Paul Hallowell and Anne. So Anne said, listen, I know what's, what is said about my dad. I know i Googled him. I, you know, I, I read in the book with, you know, you know, what you said about the opium. She's like, he loved his country. He would do anything for his country. And that's what he did. He followed orders and did what he was supposed to do. And I was like, well, can't fault him for that. Right. I mean, did what he had to do. Did what he had to do, act, man. And I helped create that. Walt Disney World.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, you take the good and you take the bad and you <laughs> take right. them both. And yeah, whatever. Um, the facts of life. Yeah. You have the facts of life. Thank you very much. <laughs> So Well, if I remember correctly, and, you know, had the group people and they were using shell companies to buy all this land. So they scattered out a bunch of land. Walt finally decided like, hey, this is what I want. Go get it. And I'm yeah. tr- obviously truncating a lot yes. because even even in the middle, it's this is see. OK. This is why I wanted to have you on all I would do because I sat here and like marked pages of the book. I'm like, OK, this is really fascinating. And then I'm sitting <laughs> here going like, how can I make this into a show? I can't because I would just be end up reading the whole friggin book to the, everybody. <laughs> Like, okay, here we go. Part one, uh, page I, 149. I got some time. <laughs> you know, again, that's how much I really like this book because it's not fluffy. You tell the story yeah. in a direct way and uh, and it's it's really interesting. So Walt, you know, said, hey, go down to Florida. The guys found, what, 12 sites or something like that. And they put together proposals for these parcels of land that may not even be really for sale. It's just what, what would meet Walt's, you know, needs. And through that, they, had to, they ran into so many issues. You talk, Well, what are some of the issues people are running into? Um, I'm thinking specifically of like the mining rights. Let's talk yes. about that for a little bit. Because yeah. talk about things you don't see coming.
2: <laughs> right. Like, and, and real fast, go back to what you said about the shell corporation. So Anne will say her mom would oft, often would, would joke around years later that she owned Walt Disney World before Walt Disney owned Walt Disney <laughs> Because Paul would buy the property, put it in her name, then put it into a shell corporation. I mean, we're talking about like a day or, you know. Yeah. You no, know, Then put it into a sh- goes in her name then goes to shell corporation eventually goes back you know to the disney's but she used to she goes my mom used to joke all the time she owned walt disney world before walt did, (laughs) because she would get the land my dad would put the land in her name and you know my dad you know she's like my dad was an attorney you know aside from being you know you know an operative he was an attorney always used to say to us don't sign anything you read everything before you sign read everything digest it and make sure you know everything's on the up and up and my mom used to joke with him and say, You want me to sign this? I'm not signing this. <laughs> <laughs> what am I signing here? But yeah, so that, that, as soon as when you said the over that always pops into my head when, it's like, oh, my mom owns it before, before Walt owned it. That's funny. So the mineral rights, that, that's like another, you know, random thing that who even knows that you could actually own the, the rights on the surface mm-hmm. and then someone else can own the rights underneath you, uh, underneath that land, which is pretty common apparently in Florida. It's a Florida thing because there's still things in the news that come up that, People buy homes, and I saw something not so long in the past couple of years. I bought a home in Tampa um, in a new development, and they wanted to. So they only owns like the land that their house is on, but mm-hmm. everything underneath, someone else owned, and they could then basically, in essence, knock the house down and drill for oil or whatever. <laughs> so yes. the land that you know, big tract, the land, uh, the Demtree tract that Walt, well, you know, that the um, attorneys for Walt and Roy wanted, that was the case. So. The trees owned this land. Um, they were going, they were builders. They were speculating they were going to build homes on it. And then they find out that they don't own the mineral rights. So everything underneath is not theirs. So how can you build a house and roll the dice of someone coming in who owns the mineral rights and basically they're going to knock down your house and they're going to drill for whatever they're looking for? So the trees had this land. They were now trying to sell it and the Disney's wanted it. But it's like, we, it's, we, you know, we can't have that. So what are we going to have, you know, what are we going to do with this land? We don't own the mineral rights. Tufts University owns the mineral rights. Another company owns the logging rights to some of the trees. And there was a third one that owned something else. So there are three different, it's like, it's late I can't pull out what what it was. But so there's three, there's three other industries that are, that own the land in addition to the dem trees. Yeah, so the dem trees are on the top and everybody else owns underneath. So the disney's were you know basically paul Hellowell steps in and says okay well we can buy we can get this land um but we basically have to prove why it's not valuable because mm. tufts university owns it they don't care they're going to sit on this land forever the demtries own you know the land as well the top portion they can't do anything with that land so we can now build on it um so what do we have to do here like what do we have to how do we figure this out it would be like ordinarily." They tried to figure, other folks had tried to figure out a way to, to make it happen. The Demtries bought that land and basically they were going to be stuck with that land unless Disney bought it. <laughs> so Paul Hellowell says, Oh, Tufts University, I had a college friend who is the head of a bank, uh, who sits on the board of trustees for Tufts University. I'll, I'll make a call. Makes the call, goes up to, to Boston, basically, you know, tells Tufts it's an asset that, that you're not going to use. If yeah. we don't buy it, the Demtries could default on their mortgage and, no one's going to do anything with this land. The land's garbage. It's basically swamp land. What are you going to do with it? If I, if we buy this land, and not saying he wasn't saying it was this. We yeah. buy this land, we can do something with it, and you own so much more of the land around it. Again, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll end up buying more. We'll take options on more. You, you universities need money; they don't need land. I mean, that's sort of <laughs> like the, the gist of the. But it was a pretty complex methodology of how he got to that. Yeah, um, and it's it's a really fascinating story. I, I butchered the hell out of it, but. <laughs> That's the uh, that's just so basically Tufts signs the rights over for like nine thousand oh, dollars, some well. ridiculous Steal. Yeah, steal.
1: I mean, just uh, just the I don't know the 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 feeling of pride. I think Hella well. I, I wonder. It seems like him and Disney are sort of maybe a lot alike in that it's absolutely. it's the the conquest. It's the I want the thing. I'm going to get this thing. I'm going to get what I want, no matter what. Absolutely. And I'm going to run it down.
2: Yeah, and that's the end of it. And we're going to make it happen. Right. And I don't think. Like you know, if, they, if those two don't collide and intersect, it just doesn't happen because they they come up with another problem with another parcel of land. They're basically going to do the state was going to do eminent domain on the land and take the land. Um, the Disney's Paul Hellwell wanted that land, a state senator Orlo Bronson. So, if anybody ever drives around, you know, Walt Disney World, there's you know, an Orlo Bronson Highway, right? Um, <laughs> land everywhere, it's a state senator. And he comes to find out that the land that Disney wants, the state's going to take and do eminent domain. And they're basically stealing it from him monetarily. And he's pissed because he's also in the state legislature. So these are his, his peers, his cohort, his group is, you know, basically taking his land from him, taking the land from him. That's right. Yeah. So Paul Hallowell says, well, what, what, you know, basically what, what, who's taking this? Like what, what, you know, division in the government? And, you know, he says it is. He goes, well, Paul Hallowell owned an insurance company and the insurance company you know, had ties to this person, ties that. So he knows that the head of that that agency is taking the land for the state, fills that deal, gets the land for the Disney's. And that's basically, I think, the land for the animal kingdom.
1: See, this is, I changed my mind. It's not a movie anymore. It's a, it's a limited run five episode series. <laughs> yeah. That's even better. I'll take it. Each with an hour and about an hour episode, maybe yeah. 45 at the least. But yeah. um, you need to see these things. You can't, yes. you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you're right. You have to talk about that. You have yeah. to put it in and because it's, 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 I guess it's more than context. It's texture, I guess is what it is. Yeah. You know? Well,
2: I, and there's, so there was the microcosm. There's the huge macro of these huge parcels, but and I, we didn't really touch on was, you know, so in early 1900s, you could buy a parcel of land of Munger farms, five acres, $5 a month. Um, Like I think five bucks down, $5 a month, five years It's yours. And they parceled it out, hundreds and hundreds of parcels. And I actually found an ad. I put the ad in the book of Munger Farms, buy the land, blah, 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 blah. So aside from those huge tracks, there are also these small little um, Munger Farm tracks. And Disney basically went around and Robert Foster went around and started to gather up these tracks because they all would sort of connect or there would be pieces in the middle of another track or you know, parts that were in swamp. So I think one of the best stories is Robert Foster goes to iowa they're they're tracking down who owns the land and these this land was purchased at that point 50 years 40 to 50 years before so they're trying to find who owns what they would call if they wouldn't call they'd send a letter and eventually if they didn't get a letter robert foster would actually go and knock on doors knocks on the door in iowa it's uh you know a family there it's two sisters and a brother says he'd like to buy the land they agree to sell it and he says can i you know ask how you you know how the family come about you know there's stories of, old, you know, retirees who before they were retired, she, you know, there was a, a woman who, you know, figured her husband's going to die before her. She's going to retire in Florida. So she would like skim money every month and buy a parcel of land that she was going to you know, retire in Florida.
1: Women, so he, you can't he, trust them, man.
2: Right. Seriously. Yeah. So he speaking to this family in, in Iowa and they two sisters wouldn't divulge. They just sort of ignored the question as he's walking out. The brother comes over and he says, You know, my sisters don't like to speak of this. They think it's ill gotten wealth now that we're getting money for this land. But my father won the land in a high stakes poker game in Texas. <laughs> that's how we got it. And that part of that land became Fort Wilderness. Jeez. So yeah. They're just the little
1: Those little details that's, that you wouldn't ever think of. No, absolutely not. So next yeah. time you guys are in Fort Wilderness, play some high stakes play, play poker some poker game. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this
0: this lends to the to the miniseries though because there's so many names so many characters involved you can't tell yeah. that story right. quick and easy like there's, there's so many people to keep track of and so many interesting yeah. personalities like robert foster and, oh yeah i, I mean yeah, yeah there's got to be so many extra stories that, that we could tease out of all of this i, I mean yeah.
1: you don't even need walt in in to be honest
2: with you in this
0: you know no because he's
1: he's gonna be in it in a little bit
2: in the he's basically in it a little bit in the beginning and then a little bit you know in the middle and
1: I kind of like I kind of like it more that if if he wasn't involved as much as you would think right because it's it's really a book it's really a story about these guys and that's what I sort of was saying at the beginning it's not so much about Walt and what he did it's about the team that he got together to do it and how they pulled it off I mean you're talking like clandestine operations like uh, you mentioned in your book they had like secretive memos where they would like number the memos and then you would send a memo to someone and then they would have to send you back the original and you have to match it up so you know that it didn't get out or uh when people had to call the offices it would be rerouted through new york yeah. or something like that yeah that seems it, crazy to me that seems it, that seems paranoid right
2: didn't want to inflate the price
1: and you mentioned and it, that you mentioned that and then at the end uh you know, towards the end of the, or the middle of the end of the book or whatever that he was sort of right to be secretive because once it actually came out in the press you say the prices went up from something like 165 bucks an acre to a thousand dollars an acre. Yeah. And
2: I think what, you know, underneath a lot of this is, so we look at it now from, you know, eyes today, Mm -hmm. especially with what's going on with DeSantis and that whole thing. Yeah. Um, Roy Disney's quoted numerous times saying, I had to make a deal that wouldn't bankrupt my company. I had to do a fiscally responsible deal. So it wasn't about, I, I had to answer shareholders. So. Can I buy land, and then can we take the hit if this doesn't work? And I can't buy land at a thousand dollars an acre. I have to buy it much cheaper. I, I have shareholders, so yeah, yeah. Obviously, like they want to get the best deal, and it's, and you know, people say, oh, they you know it was like false advertising in a sense. They scammed people out of this land, and blah 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 blah. And well, there was a fiscal responsibility he felt to his shareholders, to his brother, to his family, to himself. They had so much on the line. But the reality of it was, nobody was going to do anything with that land anyway.
1: At some point in the book, it was like, you said in the summer, it was like 75% underwater anyway.
2: Underwater. Nobody was in to the land anyway.
1: Yeah. And the I idea mean, that he scammed at anybody, like normally I'd be like, yeah, you know, because you want to stick up for the little guy, I guess. But it would, it would be the worst the worst business deal in probably history. If you go up to the person, you go, hey, look, I represent, um, you know, Disney Studios. I want to buy this land because I want to put a park on it. How much do you want to sell? But of course, they're going to be like, I don't know. How much do you have?
3: <laughs> yeah. how many right. zeros
1: can you buy? of course they're going to do that right. it, it it would be like i don't know man going up to the grocer like how much do you want for this yeah. apple i want to buy this apple and i have a hundred dollars <laughs> yeah that and turns out that's how much it is of course rightfully so <laughs> yeah i mean so but there's
2: two sides to that because also you know this leads us to 3D creep again looking at it from eyes now the whole thing of like disney took advantage of the state and blah blah blah, blah, blah and i'm not a political guy the whole thing kind of got a headache at this point from all of it.
1: <laughs> I bet. But, Especially being the, there. I bet. But
2: the reality of it is Walt wanted this because the state couldn't do what he wanted. They didn't have yeah. the money. They didn't have the resources. So rather than, you know, have the state, you know, I think he says, Osceola County doesn't have building codes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, the electric, you know, the, the phone company can't run wires. I, I, I want things done a certain way. We're using materials at Disneyland that you have, folks haven't even seen. <laughs> Just let, let me do it myself. Give me, you know, the carte blanche power and I would take like, that. Well, who wouldn't do that? Well, he's yeah. like, and I don't want to burden the state.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. But there were certain lens, it almost sounds like he beamed down from his ship and said, I'm presenting materials that you've never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> so allow me to, this is, uh, I don't know, my boomstick kind of thing. It's very much like a technology. Yeah. Wow. Look out. But it's true. It's absolutely it was fiberglass. Different. Like they were using things <laughs> of fiberglass. That, yeah.
0: I love it. The yeah. substance. Yeah. It bamboozled the governor.
2: Yes. <laughs> it's well, that fiberglass.
1: Yeah. And and I did like that part in the book, uh, because especially, you know, now uh, considering what's going on down there, because it doesn't seem the way it's the way it's put in the lens of politics today. Is that the company took advantage of the state, like you're saying? But reading your account of it and and the reasonings behind it, they needed to do this. They needed to do this because they needed to figure out how to move all this water around that would come into the into the area during the summer. They, like yeah. I said, the building codes didn't even exist in the county, so that they were going to be needing the stuff that they were going to be doing. So yeah. and so, I come from the uh, doing a lot of podcasts and craft beer, interviewing a lot of brewers and stuff like that. And this move sort of parallels a lot of uh, during the craft beer boom, the heights and you know tens, the twenties or tens of fifteen something like that, um, where breweries would go into towns that never had a brewery before, and they go, well, what do we need to do? And they go, I don't know. The county goes, I have no idea. City goes, I right. don't know. And so it'll take a brewery a year, eighteen months to get permitting to set up. Meanwhile, they they already have the space, they're paying, they have the equipment sitting in friggin storage just to get everything going and then it's the wastewater well we didn't know you needed a bigger pipe so now we need to try so it is this thing where if you can take care of it yourself that would be you know what the libertarian ideal or whatever where it's just let me just do it yeah
2: it's in their wheelhouse yeah Yeah. and who's going to say no to to, i mean to disney coming to your state why would you say no i mean the governor was like whatever you need we can do what whatever you need you can have and why wouldn't he say that of course
1: well, yeah. and, and you make the case that a couple of the guys were like, "Look, they've done this for other people as well." It's not; yeah. it was never; un, it was not an unheard of thing to have these districts. But at this, at, at the size, it you know, it, it was brand new. But right. it's happened yeah. before. It wasn't anything that very special. Listen, the
2: villages right now, the villages like an hour north still have have their own district, very similar to, to Disney's, but it's still going. The Sanus hasn't messed with them. I mean.
1: Whatever politics, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it's I, I they they seem to never change. Um, no. you know, and I uh, have in my notes, uh, talking about Henry Land, um, who was in the government for a second, and uh, he supported the Reedy Creek deal and signed off on it because apparently there was no real pushback yeah. when it was passed. Um, and then he was bad mouthing it, saying it was the worst thing that we could have done. <laughs> Well and then it turns out he never read the thing in the first place he never read the proposal and None it's like right. yeah and but so I just it's my that was my comment. why are politics just never changing we, we still go through this today it seems it seems wild to me so there's another
2: great character in this Claude Kirk who was the governor who basically signed off on everything and and got it and that guy's another guy that you should google like what he did um so colorful so again another random get a random email Eric Kirk, his son, read the book. It was yeah. just like, awesome. Dude. And <laughs> I love it. And I, you know, I, I knew a little bit about his father, but then you, you know, you dig some more. And what another colorful person who, you know, and he's like, my dad was supposed to be vice president under Nixon. He was going to be, you know, the running mate, but, you know, he was too, a bit too colorful to, to do things. But this was another one who, you know, wanted what was good for the state of Florida and signed off and said, "Let's go, let's bring it."
1: And, and it was. I mean, he had the yeah. sign. Yeah, that's uh, who's going to say no. <laughs> right, right. Another guy you have uh, in here uh, who we talk about on the show a couple times is Joe Fowler. You have a couple of yes. cool Joe Fowler moments in there too. And that's what I mean. Like when I say the book is a, a smooth read because you weave these personal stories with the nuts and bolts of what happened, and you have these long form quotes. And I, I wanted to read this one because uh, if this is, it takes the I don't I see again. I'm not a writer. It takes the sterileness of what you would perceive as a real estate book, which what I did, and it it transforms it into something more human. And so you you say this, you say, Walt and Joe had a special relationship. The Admiral often reminisced about some of his chapter or some of his capers with Walt in Florida. He says, uh, Joe says, Walt didn't live long enough to see us break ground in Disney World but he used to travel all over the property with me in a Jeep. He loved it. I remember he wanted to see how Disney World would look from the top of the Contemporary Hotel. So we got the biggest damn utility crane in Florida, and the two of us got into the bucket, and they hoisted us straight up to where the lounge at the top of the Contemporary would be. I was so damn busy hanging on, hoping to get down, and he was so enthusiastic. Oh, Joe, look at this. This is going to be great. He could visualize it all. I could see enough to realize that everything in the plans was properly located. Oh, my! He was a wonderful man, and like you didn't have that the last sentence makes the whole i don't know man, it's just a beautiful quote, and it's a nice uh it's a nice moment to include in there yeah and that's you know
2: somebody who was so distinguished in his own right i mean it, it goes i mean i think it goes back so much to the to the earlier thing that you were talking about you know like sort of the hands off but it's like he had such well equipped folks to do what he needs to do and set the ball in motion that I, he can sort of go hands off I guess you no know, he knew the vision he yeah. he he conveyed it and yeah. then you know somebody like Fowler it's like that guy's quite confident he's going to get done what I need and if he thinks I'm doing something wrong he's going to push back and he's probably right
1: yeah yeah and those are the kind of people right yeah that's why I think Walt was a genius is because of the people he hired um and truly like you know from a business standpoint from a managerial standpoint he accepted those things and I don't think you get a lot of that with high functioning CEOs or whatever you don't you don't there's a lot of ego and I don't think Walt yeah when he had it but yeah you know he, he also listened to people, too. And you, you, you tell a good story about how Fowler was hired. It's all like quotes in his. And I encourage people to buy the book for a lot of reasons. But read that because Fowler basically was tricked. <laughs> working yeah, for Disney right. It was so I awesome. love it. It's such yeah. a good story, man.
2: But that shows you what a pitch man he was. Right. Nice. Like that, that he, he bought in. Yeah. So much so he didn't know he was even he didn't know he got hoodwinked <laughs> in the job. He didn't even know what his salary was. And it didn't mean anything. He liked this guy. He's like, oh, I'm in. We're going, Yeah that's sort of like a running theme went through a lot of that. These folks just are very loyal and yeah. buy
1: in. Yeah, you know what, which is funny because you hear a lot of the rumors, uh, you know, that people want to, to say, well, Walt was this, Walt was, was a bad guy. He was mean, he was racist, whatever. And it's like, there's no none of these people who have, like yourself, who have dug deep into his life. Other people like Neil Gabler, or all these other people, Nobody's found anything, and I just I can't see people who are as you know kind-hearted and and focused on minutia like like a Fowler would work with someone like that. It just it doesn't none of that lines up for me. And it's just every time I read a little bit more about the people that Walt surrounded himself with, I I'm more convinced than ever that it's just, it's all just you know.
2: I'm Jewish. Aaron Boebert can't get any more Jewish sounding than that. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> I mean the 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 severe of Jewish folks around him since the 1930s. And folks that he gave a lot of power to, he there was he was not an anti Semite. I mean, he he came in in '32, basically revolutionized merchandising, marketing. That you know that he he was a Jewish guy, Marty Sklar, Jewish guy. I mean, yeah. I, I could go down, you could run down the list, and these are people that he trusted so much to, you know, and had so much faith in and responsibility for. Blah 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 blah. It's like, yeah, I mean, you get a big target on your back. And I think in a lot of ways, Disney always has a big target. Him and the company in general, just it is what it is.
1: Oh, Um, sure. Yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big JPEC apologist too. I get it. (laughs) I don't know, man. That's pretty funny. Winding down here real fast, because I know it's, it's late where you're at and I want to let you split. But but... um, one thing I I noticed, I picked up on in your book is you were talking about the press release that the studio put out about Walt's cancer. Now, like I said, I'm I'm doing my own, you know, weird little research for my show, and from what I read, the studio never put out a press release before he passed that he had cancer. But in the book, you had you'd mentioned it, and I'm not, adep- I'm absolutely not saying that you're you're, you're wrong, of course, but <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, I just I think it's I, I find it fascinating that everything that ever has been written about Walt Disney has is, is been done, his life has been covered, right. But we still don't, I don't know, there's still people who disagree with like timelines. So can you tell me a little about that and how you found that out?
2: So I think that was, I pulled from newspaper archives. Okay. Um, You know, if you dig enough through a lot of the stories and a lot of the lore of Disney, the stories change over the decades. Yes, yeah. Um, You know, they're the best storyteller, so they weave their own story. But that I pulled from, basically came from another book, the Disney story. And I had a mountain of just pouring over getting information about that time what was released what they said to the media um and again it was like always that it, they use that same old polo injury or back injury neck injury blah blah blah, blah. And i think to be honest i don't think they i mean walt i don't think walt and the family then i don't think the studio did either that he was going to go as fast as he did and it sort of caught them off guard yeah and it was just like Wait, what do we do? Like, wait, what, what? What are we gonna do now?
1: I think the doctor was giving him like six months to a year or something like that. Yeah. And he came out and told the family. Yeah, and he was yeah. gone like two weeks later or something like that. Weeks
2: later, yeah. That period of time, I feel like it was it was chaotic. For obviously it was chaotic. Yeah. But what do you put out? What do you what do you want to put out? What do you want the public to know? Um. Yeah. But so those came from newspaper. Did a lot of search of Southern California newspapers, and that mm. paid off.
1: Bless you for having the patience to. Thank
2: you. To, to, to I get lost in those. Love I, I, a lot of times I would read like tertiary stories that are on the same page and I'm like, yes. I'm not going to get anything done. No. I'm busy reading about this huge marijuana thing in like the 1940s. Damn. And like, the, someone, the, the, I remember one of them was like, a daughter killed the mother and was, well, she was on marijuana. And I was like,
1: wow. <laughs> wait, and the the, the daughter killed the mother because the daughter was high on marijuana?
2: Yes. Oh, yes. geez. It's
1: like the first death. Yes. I <laughs> probably save that article. Sometimes I save
2: them like, Oh, this is too good. Like, <laughs> Dude, I, that's I, awesome. I, yeah.
1: That should be like, yeah, that should definitely go on the, on Twitter or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, like digging through. I'm definitely not a researcher, uh, you know, of your stature, but uh, it's it's fun digging through some of this. And you find, um, I'm trying to think of, of a couple interesting things, but this is how I find topics for other shows, too. Like the yeah. the, the cryogenics thing that I'm working on, you start learning about the history of cryonics in, in America and what happened to all those bodies and how that happened it's just it's it, just this ever it takes you down a rabbit hole yeah it does you
2: never think you'd ever go down
1: yeah you do. and that's why they take oh, yeah. so long <laughs>
2: to yeah. figure out I'm, i yeah i'm guilty of that as well yeah absolutely yeah.
1: absolutely yeah like i did i did another show on on actually um, you know the, the conspiracy theories that of, of walt being an anti-semite or whatever and it led me down this hole of finding out about um you know all these pro-German, you know, protests in Southern California. And it's like, what is you don't hear about that stuff. It is so it's like, what is going on? Not only that,
2: so you gotta think about 1955, right? Disneyland opens. Southern California is a huge, strong presence of the clan. Lots of sundown, sundown towns. Sundown towns. Yeah, wow. Um that they that uh, unfortunately black folks would have to drive through to get to Disneyland. And they did. Um and you know, so we're also, you know, other side of the, the country, the Jim, you know Jim Crow laws, and the stuff going on with segregation. In '55, everybody was, you know, all well. And I have pictures that from the the, the um, opening day um, with a, with a, a huge variety of folks in, in the parks for '55, '56. So it, there were, you know, everybody was welcome.
1: It brought people together.
2: Brought people together. See, and I think and that's another the environment was still pretty hostile. So.
1: God, what a confusing time to be alive. What a confusing right. time to, to be a different race. a non white. You can't even put a, yeah. a, a friggin' name on it because it's like you yeah. go, you know, you, you, uh, yeah, you get verbally attacked in the street and then you go to Disneyland and then things are fine, but they're also not. I feel like you can never feel comfortable. It's right. a lot of trauma. It's a lot of generational trauma to pass down yeah. to.
2: Like that's, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, but I think it was, it spoke volumes that, you know, I can look at pictures and see black folks there yeah. on 1955 opening day. Yeah, He felt safe enough and comfortable enough to, to go.
1: I never thought about that. I, I mean, first of all, I didn't know about the sundown. But I guess is what we're talking about with, you know, Walt's legacy in general. The farther away you get from it and things like that, if we don't talk about it in schools yeah. and we don't learn about it, we're never going to know to put ourselves yeah, in those you, shoes, man.
2: Right. Yeah, because you wouldn't think to associate. But if you think about it, you distill down that time, you know, it's a crazy. Dude. Yeah,
1: that's a book, a- man. You can, you can write, you can write five books on this conversation right now. <laughs> I'll take 10%. And maybe of a few <laughs> miniseries. You got to, man. I, I tell you, I mean, I'm not like it's up to you. You're just going to get your camera and go. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that'd be great. I think that would be a very, this whole book would be a killer miniseries.
4: Oh, absolutely. Disney
1: Plus. Eight, I'm, I'm going eight episodes now.
4: Oh, wow. That's yeah, I'm going cool eight. Series. I'll put
1: a treatment together. We'll work on it. will be <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Nice. um aaron hey, yeah go ahead uh, if you if you have
0: time for one uh lighter mystery to address aaron absolutely, absolutely. um I, i'm curious there's that parcel of land that parcel of acreage that is now the bonnet creek resort yes I, i've always I've, that's always fascinated me why there's this chunk that isn't owned by disney that's that's surrounded on multiple sides by by disney property how did they not get that with all the shenanigans going on with all the really really well done tactics were there any notes from from foster or any of the other the other guys who were working on this where they they tried to get that parcel but couldn't they tried multiple times
2: it took them a long time so it's a crazy if you think about it, it's like it's like its own little island there so one disney surrounds it on three sides i4 is the fourth side um so they tried multiple times um made lots of calls lots of letters the person who owned it was I think they were in China. Um, they bought the land speculating that it was close enough to the space coast hmm. that maybe, and it was adjacent, you know, it was going to be near highways in 95 and I4 that there could be warehousing and they didn't, they wouldn't, they were, they were approached several times and they wouldn't sell. Disney just went about and did whatever they, they, and, and that, that, that Bonnet Creek, like it's an actual creek runs through their property. Like it, it runs through the Bonnet Creek property, but also runs. In, it was just a Disney property. Uh, eventually the, the property was sold and it was developed later. Um, you know, we get the, so there's like, I think the Walter story is back there and some other, um, hotels and resorts. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a, a like a weird anomaly in the, in the, uh, story that didn't get, you they know, the get one. it done. You'd think that they would get that one because it was like decent land and it was speculated upon, you know, in a similar way of speculation on some sort of industry. And yeah, they, they couldn't get it. They tried multiple okay. times.
0: But they did find out who it was they, at the time. Yes. Okay. Yes.
2: Yeah. They didn't. They didn't know who it was. Yeah. They just. They were uh, rebuffed. They didn't want to sell.
0: Very interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There was another parcel. and I can't remember the name of the parcel, but Disney tried multiple times to buy it before they built. After they built, and they literally bought the land two years ago. Um, wow. Yes. <laughs> I remember, Never I think eight stopped. Eight or nine million. Never they, stopped. They wanted it. the land. Jeez, yeah, I think, man. I think it was two years ago they got the land. I can't remember the name, but but again, he was a farmer. He had a ton of land and he basically was like, I don't need the money. I'm not interested in selling. His family <laughs> still life. owns the land and they eventually, two years ago, they sold for eight or nine million dollars.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they got anything else for it too, because in, in your story you tell, or in your book, you tell a story about a family who was like, uh, yeah, we'll sell this to you, but we want uh, passes to Disney World and Disneyland for life. And they're yeah. like, yeah, okay,
2: do it. Yeah. <laughs> got it. I think there there was a woman in, she was in Miami and owned the land. And, uh, she says, I want to send my grandkids. She didn't want to sell either. And she says, I want to send my grandkids to college. I I would like the money. Although I also want the past Disney World and Disneyland.
1: All right. How about it? Okay. Gotta love it, man. Let's, a couple things and, and, and we'll, we'll wind down here. Epcot. Speaking of Epcot, I like talking about Epcot. It's fascinating to me in broad strokes or get specific as you want whatever do you think walt's original concept because you have it and you know like i said you have basically the transcript of his of his pitch the epcot film basically um in here talking about uh talking about epcot. do you think his concept could have worked like if he had survived and he had lived and, and it would have you know do you think it would have made it from I, paper to, to to you know physical property
2: i'm not a, a fiction writer i don't that creative.
1: <laughs> However. I often say
2: there's a, there's like a, there's like a good book or a good mini series there. What if Walt lived another 10 years? Right. I think, I think it happens. Yeah. I think, I think the only person that could pull that off w- would be Walt Disney. Yeah. I mean, even if it seems so far fetched, I mean, his whole career is like bet big on himself, didn't have enough money, but bet big on everything. Yeah. Things that everybody said he could do, he did. And it's he true. was way ahead of his time on a lot of things. Yeah, uh, he so really I think, was. I think Epcot would have. Yeah, come to fruition. Because if you see the bits and pieces that, you know, that still linger, you know, people mover and things like that, are yeah, I think he actually would have pulled it off. Hmm. I don't know. You know, so even if he lived five years, he would have got to the point of putting really detailed and how and whatever. I think they would have, you know, really saw it through. But again, two weeks and he's gone and that's that.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it was if it was also an infrastructure thing too, because you know, in the, the the pictures or whatever, you know, it's like here's the idea for it, but you know, then he dies, and Roy goes, well, what am I going to? You know, how am I going to figure this out? How to yeah. make it work? I think it's a different story. Right. Um, I think he would have pulled it off. Okay. I mean, kind of interesting. I,
2: yeah, I don't think any. I mean, I think even if he lived five years, he would have had something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something more akin to what he Something wanted. Something way more, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because that's sort of playing out here in Northern California. It actually just hit the news. Uh, I saw that. Yeah.
2: yeah I immediately thought of
1: that. Yeah. We have this Air Force base up here and there was a company, a, sh- a shadow company, buying land around it. Some like 800 acres or whatever. And people were speculating on what, it, what is it? What is it? What's it going to be? And uh, it's just a bunch of Silicon Valley people going, yeah, we want to build the city of the future, basically. i was like oh wow this is just sort of epcot 2.0 yeah (laughs) yeah but (laughs) the the 1960s yeah but i guess the county's like it's not just gonna not gonna work because there's no infrastructure here i mean the you know the the weird highways we have out here sort of cluttered anyway what are you guys talking about yeah but they're they're gung-ho on all right man i love the city of tomorrow why not go at it
2: there was somebody in new jersey before i moved to New Jersey it was outside of it was like central jersey and he wanted to do the same thing and he was he would run commercials on TV and try to get funding and he had money and blah. And then obviously he just stopped hearing. About it. I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I don't think that happens now. I don't care how much money the, the Silicon Valley folks have. It doesn't happen. I don't think it happens. I don't think it happens I mean, No, it's just, it could have happened in 1960, in the sixties, in Florida in the middle of nowhere with a lot of money and talent and people who would want to see this through. It absolutely
1: could happen. Well, and, and limited regulation. I mean, right. let's be honest, right? But yeah. now, you know, like here you're, yeah, like, you're not going to, you're not going to, people are, are going to know what you're doing. Yeah. You want to do yeah. something
2: at your house. It takes months to get a permit to like, you know, change your front door or something. Right. Like,
4: yeah. so you want to yeah. build a whole city? Like, yeah. not, right. not going to happen. Not going to happen, no.
1: dude. No, sorry. A connected <laughs> house? I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And that, I mean, that speaks to Reedy
2: Creek
4: again. It goes back to, yeah,
2: and and they were green before, like Disney was green and did environmental things before that was even a thing. Like they were very conscious of the wetlands and doing, I mean, yeah, they were, you know, the whole thing now is just funny with Santa's cause, you know, back in 2003, 2004, when there was rumors that Comcast wanted to take over Disney mm-hmm. and do the hostile takeover, the state freaked out and wanted to know what would happen should the property change hands? How does it work? How is everything going right now? And what would happen if somebody else were to come in and, and take over? And basically the end result was, Disney's done, uh, has been, been a great neighbor. They've done a marvelous job over the past 40 years. And the infrastructure is in place that it would be seamless, basically, if somebody else took over. They did oh. everything the right way. Uh, and that
1: they hoped, and, and the state hoped that it didn't happen. Geez. So, well, that was before they were indoctrinating people yes. I don't know if you knew that about them, but they, <laughs> Craziness. uh, they're heavy indoctrinating. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Okay, before we let you go, again, I've said this like three times now. I have a little seven questions that i like to ask our guests. Like a moment. And they're sort of, you know, uh, not really, you know, one word answer if you can. Uh, They're sort of like the um, Inside the Actor Studio question or that old show, right? What is your favorite Disney attraction? Um,
2: Haunted Mansion. All right.
1: Yeah, same. I was hoping you were going to say barges, though, but.
4: um. (laughs) There we go. Back there.
1: (laughs) What is your least favorite Disney attraction? Ooh, hmm. we all have one mine is multiple
4: and it's called autopia
2: I yeah i have a couple too i don't, I don't need to be on a, i don't need to be on a
4: carousel
2: <laughs> i get fair. it works that is I, fair but I, but I don't need that taking up all that space
1: there you go okay i like it um pie-eyed mickey or round-eyed mickey
2: Pie-eyed Mickey.
1: what old ride should they bring back to the parks <sighs> now you and disney world have a lot to draw from so i'll, I'll allow you that too I'm going I'm going Epcot, I'm going Horizons. There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, what current ride should they remove? Oh, I got a long
2: list for that one.
1: <laughs> give me give me three.
2: Um basically anything that's been put in Epcot post, like two thousand. Is <laughs> <laughs> that a good answer? that's great. That's great. Yeah, that's great. yeah. yeah that, that that takes a lot. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, who is your favorite Disney character?
2: Oh, Mickey Mouse.
1: Classic Mickey guy. All right. Yeah. And finally, if you could travel back in time and meet Walt Disney, what would you tell
4: him? Mm.
2: Stop
1: smoking? <laughs> that is yes. by far can the I, most popular can I travel answer. travel back in
2: time and bring like a nicotine patch or some of that gum? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey, uh,
4: Walt, you know that kills you, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yo, we need to make a switch here.
1: Yeah. Nine Which out of 10 doctors start. don't agree. Walt. Yeah. 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 Maybe we'll
2: <laughs> bring a vape pen or something. Can I show you how vape?
1: Can you imagine? Uh, well. Man, that scene. Now, that would be funny. Funny bit too, like bring Walt into 2023. He's just hoot on yeah. a vape pen, just blasting <laughs> puffy clouds.
2: Can you the
1: of vaping, please.
4: Oh yeah. man.
1: Where well, I think Walt would have it like on the chain around his neck too. So he just oh, yeah. hoot oh, on yeah. it. Easy <laughs> access, a
4: little, a little cartridge on the necklace. You know, like
1: you have like people have like Skittles flavored. He would have like chili
4: flavor. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. What was uh, Scotch like, mist flavor? Scotch, the <laughs> Scotch <laughs> mist
1: flavored. <laughs> I love yeah. a scotch mist. What is it? Scotch and ice? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: Definitely don't need the word mist in there. No.
1: Yeah. Well, what you did is yeah. you, you missed the mixer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Aaron, thanks, man. Go to AaronHGoldberg.com and you can learn about all the books that, that Aaron has out. So Buying Disney World is not your most recent. What was your most recent again? Uh, presenting Disney Presenting Presenting Disney Disneyland. I, let me tell you. Check this out. I'm I'm gonna buy this book. Go if you go on the cover. It is a photo you've never seen. I know, Aaron. You said like all these okay. photos are basically like never been seen before. But it's yeah. like it, it. I don't know. It it'll freak you out. It'll freak you out if you think you've seen all the pictures of Disneyland. You have it. That, check it out.
2: I have looked at a lot of pictures and I ne- I was like, that's the cover shot because so good. There's a forklift yeah. and a
1: scaffold and a whole thing. And you're like, what is going and on,
2: I, dude? And I got Bob Berger right to the forward. Did that's oh, awesome. Man.
1: Man and he oh, tells God. a funny story Beautiful. about opening day about
2: okay. running over sammy davis jr <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's bob gerr man he seems like a kick in the pants right yeah yeah we were lucky enough to get uh roly crump on the show a couple years ago before he passed oh, away That's awesome. it was so good we had to go through his wife because he was like hard of hearing yeah. or whatever Yeah, and um you know we're talking about his book uh which if you haven't read it, it's an awesome read i have it's amazing so good and uh you know, I, I'm, I haven't really done many book interviews. And so I'm like, sort of going through the timeline of his book. And I asked him a question. He goes, Well, you know, it's all in my book. And I'm like, Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. And I was like, Okay. All right. We'll let you go, man. That's and, uh, awesome. Yeah. And it's just, but you know, it's like the class it's just a, a such a roly crump thing to do just be yeah, like right. i yeah. talked about this already what do you want <laughs> like, yeah, i don't know book, sir <laughs> G- leave me alone for a second it's, I good
2: book. it's a good book there's yeah i think that one of the best stories from that thing is the i mean there's a lot of good stories but I, for some reason the one that sticks into my head is this goes back to that i love that that was the electric umbrella how they named the, uh somebody was selling electric umbrellas and thought they were like the, like a pieces of shit and they were like terrible and and he's like, but I said the name the Michael Eisner. And he's like, oh, that's a great name. So we named the, the restaurant The Electric Umbrella. It is a and good name. That, it always stuck in my head yeah the, the brother was a piece of shit but <laughs> guys are like the name so we got an electric brother the name
1: works <laughs> yeah my Good. the story that always sticks out for me for me in, from that book was the uh when he dropped off uh his date who was at the work the front desk at one of the, at the studio and he Good. rode into the studio on a motorcycle yes <laughs> just dropped her off around her desk and rode the bike yeah. out and just like but Walt loved him. He had carte launch yeah. basically. I mean, he could just yeah. do, I feel like he could do no wrong. He was such a cocky ass, oh, yeah. handsome as all get out. And I was like, come on. Yeah. How do you yeah. not? How do you not just flex a little bit like that?
2: Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah.
1: Anyway, Aaron, where else can people find out about you? you're on Twitter and, and all the social media? Twitter, meters.
2: Instagram, all the usual suspects right. there at Aaron H. Goldberg.
1: Yeah. Cool. Aaron, I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much my for taking my time. Yeah. Of uh, My pleasure. We're going to take a quick break, folks. We're going to come right back and we're going to maybe do a little bit of news and and then wrap it up so hang on everyone we'll be right back gee sorry guys but that guy bought 14 churros i'm all sold out and now back to the show all right thanks for sticking around everybody you know i want to give you guys an update on our concierge experience ah yes Because you know we're going to the parks in January. It's official now, we're mid-January sometime. I don't want to say the time uh, frame because I don't want a mob of people to meet us at the gate <laughs> trying to try to get pictures and autographs. Oh
4: yeah, no, it would really disrupt <laughs> Disneyland's yeah. flow. So definitely... It
1: really would. Yeah, actually, uh, Disney reached out <clears throat> to us and they true. yeah they said please don't. Um, and I said look because we can't afford a plan. And they said well then that's fine, but just don't announce it, and we'll you know we'll try to are going to treat us like Michael Jackson did with his kids where they just put a blanket on it. Yeah. So you, know, like you
0: thanked Bob blanket. and hung up on him unexpectedly.
1: Yeah. Well, I said, uh, actually, move. yeah, well, right. Yeah. Iger's like, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, if you could do that, because when he talks to me, he gets East Coast. He goes, yeah, you know, when uh, if you could do that, that'd be really, really great. The family would appreciate it. And I said, oh, that's cool. Oh, Bob, uh, before I go, uh, I want to tell you something. He goes, yeah, what's that? And I hang up. That's my trick. <laughs> That's my one weird trick. No, um, we finally booked our, our thing. So, you know, we're, I was talking with Jimmy and uh, I realized talking to Taryn afterwards that this is a, a perfect, if you're like us, concierge is perfect for you. Because the way we plan vacations is we go, yeah, let's, uh, for example, we'll, we'll probably stay at the Marriott or whatever. And then we you know, figure out where we're going. Look at, the, look at the map. Go, oh, well, let's look at, look at some other hotels because you always got to be price conscious, right? You got to fit your budget. And we, we look around and go, oh, well, what about the uh, Anaheim Hotel? Okay, well, let's look at that. We check that out. And we go, oh, well, what about this one? Oh, well, the Candy Cane Inn's right here. Well, you know what? Just for just for funsies. What's the Disneyland Hotel? Good? What's the California Grand? What about the Paradise? And then so you we just kind of go down the spiral. And it takes weeks for us to plan a vacation because <laughs> at some point I don't want to talk about it anymore. I get tired of talking about it. I like, I, I, I'm, I'm done. My brain can't handle any more talk about which hotel to stay at. It doesn't matter. And you, you know, whatever. But with, with concierge for Jimmy, all we did was go, this is when we want to go. And this is what we're looking for. And he gave me like four options. I'm like, Oh, this is great. What about the Disneyland hotel? <laughs> so I sort of made him do the whole thing that we do, but it takes half the time that it would normally take for us. And you know, especially now with Disneyland, you still need resis. My fear is that we would just wait. Like, if it was up to me, we wouldn't be booked, right? Because we'd still be going, well, I don't know. Should we do this? Should we go Disneyland club level? I don't know. Is that worth it? Because we haven't been in so long. <laughs> that was
4: a two-day conversation in our house.
1: Yeah. Um, but Jimmy was helpful all the way through, and he got back to me right away with answers and prices. and um, And we are officially booked.
4: And I want to say from a different perspective, I am a planner. I actually enjoy going down these rabbit holes and not knowing which hotel we're going to be at, but researching all of them. And so using like a travel planner, I was there was a hesitation there because I do enjoy doing that. There's a part of me that likes that part of process of vacationing. But I will say like working with Jimmy and working with concierge, it like it helped narrow the playing field. (laughs) right like it helped me just sort of narrow down my options and go I can still look up like I can still look up every picture I can find of the Anaheim Hotel because here's the thing I'm a little bit of a um, hotel snob so there's going to be certain hotels that just by the pictures by Google image search I'm going to be like (laughs) no not doing that for four days sorry and then there's other ones where I'm like oh okay okay we'll see we'll see let's compare this to Essentially, the Disneyland Hotel, which I I know what that's like. I know what the Marriott's like. Let's compare it to these other hotels that I know. Yeah, but it really did help. Like where where we're staying is a different hotel than we've ever stayed at, and that is sort of an uncomfortable decision for me because I'm a hotel snob. It is. But I also trust Jimmy for one. I, I don't know why, but yeah, I why? Do. Um,
1: <laughs> I guess he's <laughs> yeah, he's too know. he's too handsome to lie to us.
4: Well, and because he's doing it for concierge not for ears up maybe
1: <laughs> that's, okay, okay that's
4: why I trust him <laughs> all
1: right that's fair
4: <laughs> um but yeah I you know I was still able to do some of my own research but it helped um again just narrow that down from like a hundred thousand hotels down to
1: five. yeah yeah it was super easy because he quoted Paradise Pier didn't quote Disney hotel and he said Paradise Pier Club level and so we're like well First of all, don't ever put that seed into my mind because we are dumb enough to go deeper in the debt to do that but what about the disneyland hotel club level why not and then suddenly that was the bar that we had to oh, meet yeah. with everything then now it's like well <laughs> if it's not the club level then what else is it really gonna Dude, be you guys like is it the, really worth it
4: oh the disneyland eyes or disneyland glasses like they, they talk about rose colored glasses yeah. there is disneyland glasses where you, all of a sudden you're like oh like what, five grand for to stay at a hotel <laughs> yeah. that's, not, that's like nothing it's fine
1: yeah well, <laughs> it, well the, the, and then we go well the, it includes tickets, yeah, too. It includes so tickets. you know it's, it's, not right. it's not that bad. Yeah, and no, then you look at the price to go to the Anaheim hotel; it's like two grand.
4: Yeah. Like, oh, okay. And honestly, <laughs> even that didn't didn't trigger for me until I actually went to I went and looked because I wanted to see the like just I wanted to see the Disneyland hotel. I wanted to do it myself because I needed to see it. And I saw that it was $850 a night or something and I was like, "Okay, what are we doing?" Oh my god. <laughs> we're
1: talking we're having we fun. We
4: can't do that. <laughs> we are not, we didn't win the lotto. Like, why why are we even entertaining this yeah. idea? <laughs> but um we entertained it for a very long time, but we're not doing it.
1: It was fun while I asked it
4: lasted. Cuz now we can buy stuff in the park.
1: Yeah. Like food.
4: Yeah, <laughs> <and> to
1: eat, <laughs> and fair. like
4: we can buy food like next week. Yeah. So. But yeah, anyway, it was
1: great. And, um, you know, I have a, a, a reminder set to uh, get our park reservations, which is still weird to me that you can buy tickets. That's what Jimmy was saying. He's like, I don't understand because you buy tickets, you tell them the dates so they don't have the inventory for those dates because they know you're coming.
4: Yeah. So why do you need a, also a reservation?
1: And I can't make a reservation until
4: next week. Especially if you have park hoppers. And they already like, bought. Right. It's not like you they need to even know which park you're gonna be in. You're gonna be in both. What it's what so do weird, you, what do you need to know?
1: Weird. But uh yeah, anyway, so check that out. Go to concierge.com. If you want to live like a king or queen, <laughs> um, go to concierge.com and uh, they'll they'll take care of you, man. They really do. They lay it all out for you, you get a little phone call and um they they give you exactly what you're looking for and a little bit extra too, which does, you know, help. Um, either it sets in your mind what you want or it makes you change your mind. You live outside, live dangerously, but that price for the whole package for the tickets in the, in the hotel was was cool to see. You did not have to do any math. No math here.
4: No, my, my next thing that um, I'm going to, well, uh, right. I'm, I'm just going right. to drop this on you now. I was looking at the Car- Carthay Lounge alfresco diet. I didn't know they were still doing that.
1: I'm going to curse at you. Hold on a second. <laughs> March in the past,
0: present, and future, with all the news that's fit to cover, it's the ears Up Disney News.
1: Oh, all right, everybody, let's do a little Disney news, and we're going to wind down the night, huh? The chat's going off right now, we're uh, about the Disney Locarna, Locarna, whatever, I don't know how it's said.
3: Never heard of it. Uh, the card game.
1: Yeah, Orcana. there you go. Locanna. The new card game uh, that's like Magic the Gathering. And uh, we've been talking about it in Discord for a while. That released it the other day, a couple weeks ago, I think. And, uh, you know, already in the bulk packs or in the booster packs, you can get, like, the really expensive cards. And people were on eBay, of course, selling them for 1500 bucks or whatever. Jeez. And uh, I have uh, my, my gaming friends, this dude, he's like, I paid off my medical bills, fixed my car, and bought a PS5 with a game from selling individual Locarna cards <laughs> on, on eBay. He just went and bought like five booster packs, got a bunch of freaking cards, sold them, and there you go.
4: That is wild.
1: Yeah. And so RGH, you know, he's in Discord last week and he's like, yeah, I, you know, went and, and found a bunch of packs or whatever. I'm like, are you going to split those up and sell them? Well, no, you should. <laughs> You're yeah. going to make a lot of money yeah. on them. You know, if you pull some good packs like that Simba, there's a Simba foil card or whatever. So each booster pack is guaranteed, I guess, to have a foil card. And those are the expensive ones. Okay. And the Simba is like 1500 going for 1500 bucks, 2500 bucks. Already? Box. I need that. Yeah, already.
3: Jeez.
1: And so my thing is, like, if you want to play that game, buy the decks now if you can, buy the booster decks now and just rip them apart to sell them because they're going to reprint. If it's anything like Magic the Gathering, they're going to have different editions. And each subsequent editions are going to be worth less and less, but uh. it's still going to be the same. It's going to be the same function. Yeah. So buy it now. Make some money on the secondary market, which I know I don't really like to you know, do that, um, especially because yeah, we've been on record cool. saying don't resell do popcorn that. buckets. But this is different. I don't know. This is an already established black market.
4: Well, and mm-hmm. it's not taking away from somebody else having it. Right. That's
1: a yeah. Thing. Something like that. Let's go. Something around that <clears throat> feels feels right. Yeah. All right. I got a couple Disney news stories and we're going to we're going to split Reno. Um We were talking on the last show. About uh, New Orleans Square and Tiana's Palace opening up and all that kind of stuff. And I came across this article. I thought it was pretty interesting. Disneyland ships in bread from New Orleans for Tiana's Place sandwiches. Wow.
4: Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Seems unnecessary.
1: It does. Because instantly I'm going, if I'm a cast member and my union or whatever is asking for more money and the company's saying, no, we don't have it. And then I read that you're shipping in bread from halfway across the country. Get right out of my face with this nonsense. Get out of town. You mean you can't find a bakery in L.A. to make bread as good as you can buy it in New Orleans? I don't believe you. You're full of trash. Go away. Well, this okay. is such a dumb infrastructure thing to do. I don't know. I
4: like also would would like to know if they truly are like, is Dis- does Disney have a contract with a bakery in and, and it's literally being shipped by this small little bakery or whatever in New Orleans? Or is this through Cisco and it's just from New Orleans? I don't know. You know, I
1: mean, we're never going to know. But... That's
4: the biggest. That's <clears throat> a huge difference. Well, because- let me
1: read the let me read the article. Disneyland foodies craving an authentic taste of Louisiana will need to look no further than the Po' Boy and Muffaletta sandwiches on the menu at the new Tiana's Place restaurant in New Orleans Square. We are bringing the bread in from New Orleans, Disney Parks Food and Beverage Director Michelle Gondro said. Tiana's Place will open, uh, well, it actually opens today. So there you go. Locally sourced ingredients from Louisiana will be shipped to Tiana's Place for a new, or Tiana's Palace. It should be Tiana's Place. I'm sorry. That's what I, with the way I read it. It should be Tiana's Place. It should not be Tiana's Palace. I don't like that. Uh, For a New Orleans-inspired menu, that includes gumbo, shrimp, and grits, red beans and rice, lemon-filled beignets and chicory coffee, as well as boboi and muffaletta sandwich. The ingredients are critical to tell the story. There's no story. Come on. It's food. (laughs) At some point, it's just food. Like, not everything needs to be a story, Haas. Uh, That's from Disneyland Resort culinary director John State. Sourcing this bread wasn't an easy task. Sure it was. We tried to duplicate the bread here. We tried to make it ourselves. We tried to work with somebody local to make it for us, and we just couldn't get there. I don't believe you. It's a roll. It's a soft white roll. There's no way you couldn't do it. And ingredients from Louisiana with flour? Whoa, that's so crazy, dude. I guarantee you that all the places in in New Orleans don't use locally sourced flour. They use the cheapest flour that you can possibly get because they're trying to reach their margins. Why,
4: Why are you so mad about that?
1: Because I don't like it because it's just another way that Disney it tries to inject this false sense of story into their crap. It doesn't need to be there. This doesn't need to be an article. Why are we doing this? It doesn't
4: need to be an article, but can I just say that... You're
1: mad at me that I'm frustrated. I can do see I, it in your face. Do I
4: seem mad at yes. all? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, I think it's these kinds of details that started this show that make people love Disneyland. And so why is this different than any of the other small details that they do? I to don't make know,
1: because the, the more I learn about the way Disney does things and why they do it and how well they treat their employees, it pisses me off when I see things like this because they cut so much out of things like the extended queue for, um, you know, Haunted Mansion that's going to have a lot of Museum of the Weird stuff. They cut that because they didn't have it in the budget but here they are shipping bread from Louisiana. Like the things that they focus on, it it seems sort of insane to me.
4: What if, what if they didn't have to pay? What if this was a sponsorship?
1: I I don't Well, What if, I mean, you know, what if, what if this was fake and Louisiana doesn't even really exist?
0: You're saying that there's on the menu, Taryn, that they've got a little Joe's bakery. (laughs) provides bread.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Go to eat at Joe's. (laughs) Yeah. You're in Louisiana. But like, what if, what if anything? You know, I, I I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't play with what ifs, Tim, because it's not in the story. Um, Disneyland chefs made multiple research trips to New Orleans while, envelop- uh, while developing the menu for Tiana's Palace, Gendrew said during a media preview. One big easy research trip included 18 stops at restaurants in two and a half days. Excuse me. Included stops at 18 restaurants in two and a half days. That is. That sounds like when we were going to go to. To New Orleans. That's what I wanted for us. <laughs> Go to all these restaurants. Yeah. Louisiana source ingredients in Tiana's Pal's recipes include Andouille sausage cane syrup. Oh, yeah. You got to love locally sourced cane syrup and rice along with Tabasco and crystal. See, this is what I'm talking about. There's no story. Tabasco? No, dude. At least crystal, you got that. There's other, like, better, you know, hot sauces out there than Tabasco. So you're trying to tell me that you're shipping bread halfway across the country, and the best thing you can come up with for a hot sauce is Tabasco, it's critical that the one key component that you start with is the bread. The bread is very light. It helps the ingredients stand out. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool, dude. Um, Disneyland is buying bread for both the po'boy and muffaletta sandwiches from the same producer. Uh, Disneyland chefs won't say which bakery is supplying the po'boy rolls and the muffaletta loaves, how often the shipments will be arriving, and whether the fresh bread will be traveling cross-country by plane or truck. What does it matter? <laughs> Who cares? Why is that a question? The 1896 Liedenheimer Baking Company is the last of the old school bakers in New Orleans and responsible for a majority of the city's bread supply. The maker of po'boy rolls and muffaletta loaves distributes its bread nationally, including to California. So maybe that's that's them. Who knows, man? Um, yeah. So anyway,
4: that sounds like could be.
1: there you go. If you're a foodie and you love a good, you know, out of state Bread, because everyone, everyone, the one thing everyone knows about bread, Taryn and Eric, is that uh, fresh, the freshest bread is not really where it's at. It's that two or three day old bread. That's when you know it's good. Uh, RGH is making a case
0: in in the chat here, and he's he, kind of he's kind he of the, the the bread that that is used for the iconic you know chicago beef sandwiches is a very specific bread and it's generally not the freshest because you want you want a specific crust on the outside so that it soaks up the juice on the inside and it still has a little bit of that chewy texture on the outside so that's a very specific example but um it it definitely hits close to home not physically but you know maybe in my past where i maybe lived in that
1: city Mm -hmm. Brandy's not off-camera throwing sandwiches at you?
0: (laughs) Uh, No, but we have frozen um, Toronto bread in our freezer right now, so if she was, it would hurt. (laughs) Oh, well, then there you go.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I don't know, man. Look, it's just one of those things, okay? It's just one of those days. Uh, Here's another story. Uh, Disneyland replaces Fantasmic with a new nighttime projection show. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The new Heartbeat of New Orleans will debut on September 29th on the Rivers of America at uh, uh, Disneyland, while Fantasmic undergoes an extensive makeover through spring of 2024. Hopefully stop it catching on fire. A new nighttime projection show featuring a jazz score that may be set to music from Soul will play on the Mm. Rivers of America, while Disneyland retools the Fantasmic nighttime spectacular following the inferno that consumed the show's fire-breathing dragon. The new Heartbeat of New Orleans Nighttime Projection Show will debut, uh, sorry, I just read that. Disneyland describes the new nighttime show as a, quote, living mural set to a jazz score that tells a whimsical tale of a mischievous bayou frog lured to New Orleans by the music he hears in the distance. The art installation projected on Tom Sawyer's Island, waterfront buildings along the rivers of America, will animate original artwork created by Disney Live Entertainment graphic designer Marcella Sweat. Sweet Sweat? S-W-E-T-T. Can't be Sweat. But I think it can't be sweet either. It has got to be sweat. E E T? E T T. Oh, E T T. Yeah, sweat. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like sweat. Yeah. <laughs> sweat is best known for her sidewalk chalk art creations in downtown Disney for the Celebrate Soulfully events during Black Music Month. Timing of the new jazz-centric nighttime projection show coincides with Disney Live Entertainment's hiring of performers to portray jazz pianist Joe Gardner from Pixar's 2020 Soul animated film. Um, They are seeking jazz piano soloists who can engage with Disneyland visitors within the story of the Soul film, according to the Disney Auditions website. Musicians must be available for in-person callbacks on September 12th. anaheim for a role that pays well how much would you how much eric how much would you pay or what what's your hourly rate if you're a jazz musician a jazz pianist a piano soloist who can you know perform and and then also interact with guests and whatever what's your hourly
0: disneyland um did disneyland approach me or am i you You audition you're seeking the work
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so you need money
0: yeah, yeah. I'm thinking um, I'd I'd like 50 an hour, but they're going to give me 25.
1: Uh, close 41 to 64 an hour. So oh, well, that's not bad. Doesn't okay, sound bad. Okay, where I where I quoted, I'd be comfortable. Okay, yeah. and there you go. That's it. Um, speaking of things that are it, summer is here, and our friends at the 21st Amendment are celebrating the return of the warmer days with their popular and everyone's favorite seasonal beer. Hell or High Watermelon Wheat. The brewers at the 21st Amendment brew an American wheat beer with real watermelon juice, creating a refreshing, fruity, and quenching beer, or what they affectionately call Summer in a Can. Hell or High Watermelon Wheat will make any weekend barbecue or beach time activity that much better. When visiting the California Bay Area, be sure and stop in at the 21st Amendment's San Francisco Brew Pub at five six three Second Street, just two blocks from where baseball is played. And also, be sure and visit their brewery tap room just across the bay in San Leandro with an outdoor beer garden. And I will say, if you are going to do either one of those, both places have amazing food. Just in case you didn't know, a brew pub usually mm-hmm. has food. Two it's and a knocks it out of the park.
4: Very good food. Huge That's menu. It's a
1: baseball pub,
4: Yeah. Okay, last. Oh, I get it. <laughs> there you go.
1: Um, Last article I want to go over, and then we're going to get out of here. This is from The Verge, and this is uh, relatively recent news, but this this headline was awesome. Bob Iger and Bob Chapek's CEO battle made Disney the pettiest place on Earth.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That is a good title. Yeah. Um, Also very accurate.
1: When Bob Iger stepped down as CEO of Disney, he butted heads with his handpicked successor, Bob Chapek. But we really didn't know just how bad and how petty some of the things Iger did to express his unhappiness with Chapek's decision were until now. This report from CNBC gives us a glimpse at what went on behind the scenes at Disney, spanning from Chapek's appointment in 2020 to Iger's takeover in 2022. And uh, this author says, let me tell you, some of the drama that went on here is akin to Cinderella with CEOs. (laughs) Here are the pettiest moments we learned about. Yeah. Despite his departure as CEO, CNBC reports that Iger wasn't ready to give up his expansive office at Disney's studio, Burbank. After all, he would remain a Disney executive, or oh, excuse me, he would remain as Disney's executive chair for the next 22 months. The office came with a private shower that Iger reportedly used following his 4 a.m. workouts. Wow. 4 a.m. You're up. You're up before 4 a.m. What are you doing? Yeah. On days when Iger would have to attend an event later on, he would take another shower in the office. Iger told Chapek, quote, that he lived for those two shower days. (laughs) Touch grass, kid. There's more to live for than taking a shower twice a day. Meanwhile, Chapek was left with a smaller showerless office on the same floor. (laughs) Imagine you're like sharing a wall with a guy you replaced and you hear him humming in the shower and it's just a shared wall. <laughs> oh man, it's like the odd couple book. Yeah. As reported by CNBC, Iger's office bathroom had some choice decor, including a framed collage containing newspaper and magazine clippings about Disney's acquisition of Marvel.
4: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: Bob Ego over um, here, man. Wow. There was also a modified movie poster of Clint Eastwood's The Iger Sanction, which follows an assassin who exits retirement to take on one final job that replaced Iger with Iger. It's It's, E-I-G-E-R. What a freak, dude. Uh, Iger started regretting the decision to make Chapek CEO as early as two weeks after Chapek's appointment. When Iger, Chapek, and other Disney executives flew to North Carolina for Disney's annual meeting, CNBC reports that Iger gave Chapek the unexpected task of leading the question and answer session instead of Iger, even though the new CEO had only attended one annual meeting in his 27 years at Disney. Oh, geez. CNBC reports that following two hours of general preparation with Iger, Chapek went to a private area at the back of the plane to study the information he needed to know. Iger apparently didn't like that. He reportedly told his friends that when he realized he may have made a mistake, as he thought Chapek would work with him side by side for the next 22 months instead of doing his own thing. I'm sorry, uh. this reframes. If you ever thought Chapek was a, a dunce, this should reframe everything for you. Iger is such an egomaniac that he can't handle another grown-ass man, a successful businessman, moving to the back of the private plane to study. That blew his <laughs> mind. That blew, the, the, He can't fathom that. Why would you need to study over there? Why can't you study before me? I know everything. I know the whole thing. Well, what if you have questions? If you get, I I mean, I'm right here. I'm right here. (laughs) What if you
0: want to know how much we spent on that? I
1: I know. But but (laughs) if you're way out there you and you're too tired to come over here, how are you ever going to (laughs) know? Oh, man. Even as executive chair, Iger was reportedly miffed at Chapek. Miffed. People don't use the word miffed enough. I love that. Uh, Miffed at Chapek for not including him in company decisions. CNBC reports that Iger privately vented to his friends that he quote felt like he was on a bus that the other passengers wanted him to drive but he couldn't reach the steering wheel.
4: <laughs> well, and that's why he's back.
1: Picturing a, a tiny Chapék now, a tiny Iger. Uh, I, I can't reach. I can't reach the steering wheel, mommy, help me, mommy, daddy, help me, please. I can't drive the bus. Da- I wanted Bobby wants to drive the big bus, but he can't. Well, Bobby, you know that you were driving the bus. And you decided to let the other Bobby do it. I know, but he doesn't do it as good as I do. I just want it. A <laughs> crybaby. And also, look, I've said things to my friend. I never want to read quotes no, about it, what I've re- what I've heard or what I've told you in CNBC <laughs> in the future. Please, yeah, get new friends.
4: Yeah, his friends suck.
1: If if my friends were quoted saying anything about me, it's- yeah, I know that I'm not a valued person. So to me, Iger just isn't valued by his friends. Because they're just like telling on. Yeah. Um. Even as uh yeah mift uh yeah bus that's right. Iger surmised that Chapek wouldn't be the quote obedient lieutenant that Iger became to his predecessor, former Disney CEO Michael Eisner. So Iger was pissed that Chapek was actually like doing the job and wasn't just licking boots like he did with Eisen. That's what I get out of that.
4: He just didn't do things the same way. And he didn't like that. And I I get that. I can see both sides. I mean, I get that. Even if you quit your job, you're kind of annoyed about the person that you have to train for the two weeks. Like It just doesn't seem like
1: these are things that." that you should be wondering about. You know, like, how could you have made such a big, quote unquote, mistake? I don't know, his judgment is just weird. Uh, in the midst of the COVID pandemic, a report from the New York Times suggested that Iger had, quote, effectively returned to running the company even after Chapek's appointment as CEO. Iger didn't deny this claim, writing in an email to the Times, quote, a crisis of this magnitude and its impact on Disney would necessarily result in my actively helping Bob and the company contend with it, particularly since I ran the company for 15 years. This didn't sit well with Chapek, who called up Iger and said he, quote, didn't need a savior
4: this is petty I love it. They just wow. do not like each other
1: no but I, honestly I'm I'm full steam ahead on team jpeg more than I ever have been in my entire life this is awesome good for Bob jpeg I swear to God I don't need a savior dog go away go away you elected me to do this <laughs> job the board signed off on it and now you're you're being a dick go away I don't need you In 2021, the Chapek-controlled Disney stirred up issues with Black Widow star Scarlett Johansson when it revealed its plans to release the Marvel film in theaters and on Disney Plus for an added charge. But Johansson's uh, contract didn't account for a streaming release leading to a lawsuit that Chapek reportedly thought Iger would handle, as he had a long relationship with her agent and knew Scarlett Johansson. Despite these connections, Iger didn't step in. According to CNBC, Iger believed the situation was a, quote, clear business matter, and that, quote, if Chapek wanted to be CEO, he should be CEO. This is such a retaliatory, like, non-intervention thing. Yeah. Well, if you want to be, you're over there at the back of the plane <laughs> studying. I'm trying to reach the, the, the friggin' wheel of the bus. Dog, you want to you wanna drive the bus? Drive the bus, baby. Iger also didn't speak up during a meeting Disney held with its lawyers, with CNBC reporting that he believed the discussions felt like amateur hours. While both Chapek and Iger eventually signed off on a public statement about Johansson's lawsuit, CNBC says neither approved of its harsh tone, which implied the actor was just after more money. However, CNBC says neither Iger nor Chapek, quote, stopped its release because each believed the other should be in charge. Iger reportedly told Chapek to issue a public apology, but Chapek declined. Sources tell CNBC that Iger didn't even think about apologizing. Uh, here's another one. When Iger held a retirement party for himself, <laughs> <laughs> what a way to start! A Doesn't sentence. come off right. No, what a way to start a sentence. But that's exactly what happened, right? When Iger held a retirement party for himself, CNBC reports that he reluctantly invited Chapek, who canceled his plans in order to attend the gathering. During Iger's speech, he noticeably left out Chapek, who sat away from Iger while visibly miserable. Which is a direct
4: quote. <laughs> we 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 read about that before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. visibly wow. miserable.
1: God, I want that on my headstone.
4: This should be a bravo.
1: Yeah. It really should. Even after Iger stepped down as executive chair in 2021, Chepek still couldn't shake his influence. Iger still spoke with current and former Disney executives about Chapek and the company's future. Yeah, Iger seems like a petty bitch. I'm sorry. I, this man sucks. Some of whom asked him to return to the company. CNBC reports, additionally, Iger reportedly met with Christina Shockey, Shockey, Disney's newly appointed chief communications officer, Walt, which CNBC says Chapek viewed as, quote, Dining with the enemy. Yeah, I mean, you know, if your board is actively meeting with a guy you replaced, uh, you know, yeah, I'd I'd be a little I'd be a little miffed as well. On top of all this, I and I don't normally read like all the articles, but this is too good, man. On top of all this, Iger recently hinted at selling some of Disney's linear channels, an idea of Chapex that Iger reportedly hadn't been fond of in the past. CHAPEC also pitched a streaming-only version of ESPN that Iger is now pushing forward with reports suggesting that Disney is looking for partners to take a minority stake in the network. JPEG. <laughs> JPEG is going in. That's not the only move Iger has made that contradicts his previous stances. While Iger reportedly wanted Disney Plus to be the cheapest streaming service on offer, he's following in JPEG's footsteps by cranking up the price yet again. Whether Iger wants to admit it, he may now see reason in some of the business decisions made by JPEG. I feel like you wrote this article. I, oh, I can't can't write that well. Are you kidding me? <laughs> So good. But this is the feeling that I've gotten. I've said on the show before, too. I guarantee you, Iger is now going, oh, yeah, I guess things are just different overall now.
4: Yeah, but he still won. Did he win
1: or is he losing? Because what is the the stock is like sub 80 right now? It got back up to 80 by the end of the day, but (laughs) it, it dumped. Yeah. Stock, which, again, was a big reason why people wanted to replace JPEG. It's worse than it's been in 10 years.
4: But is it just Disney stock that's down or is the whole stock market down?
1: It's, that's also. Part I think of it. Disney stock is down harder than most other stocks. Yeah, it's affecting the market,
0: but other big things like Tesla aren't tanking right now also.
4: Yeah,
1: yeah, I love it. Taryn doesn't like me to be happy. Taryn hates that I'm happy.
4: About <laughs> I this. don't hate that you're happy. I just look at her think, face. I think look at her face. Oh my god! Look at her.
1: She's so upset. You
4: just are so. You just. I don't know. Your, your opinions are just so strong on this topic. Yeah,
1: I think it's hilarious. I think is it's because very because he's so delighted.
4: Yeah, is that, is that what's getting him?
1: <laughs> I think it's. I think it's very funny. T- I just, I don't know the whole thing. I love when rich people fight. I love when, um, when people who are sort of elevated, elevated based on their decisions, um, are then sort of called out for who they really are or what they really are. And, um, I love it when people who get dumped on sort of gain credibility after fact because everyone, in my opinion, everyone dumped on JPEG way too soon, way too easily and didn't give him time to do his thing. And Clearly, now with the reporting coming out, that Iger was sort of in the background from day one, needling at everybody else, saying, Oh, this guy sucks, and this guy can't do anything, or whatever. That's gotta, you know, you're not setting your successor up for success.
4: Oh, no, I definitely don't think he did. And
1: so I think Iger really undermined a lot of what Chapek did, even more than I even more than I had realized, there's a lot of infighting and it sounds like there's a lot of Iger talking to the board behind Chapek's back and Chapek finding out about it. And you can't trust your board at that point. Yeah. So it just creates a rift. So it sort of seems like Iger sabotaged Chapek from the, from the outside. I agree. And I just, I think that's perfect. I think it's perfect because all the Bob Iger stands, you know, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. All right, Thanks, everybody, for, for making it this long, the two-hour mark of our show tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you very uh, much to Aaron Goldberg. You can go to AaronHGoldberg.com right now and find out where you can buy his five books on the Disney Company and uh, the Disney Brothers, and uh, this one specifically buying Disney's World. I have not finished it yet. I am slightly embarrassed to say that. I'm about 50 pages out. Um, But man, it's such a good read. If you're not a reader, but you want to know like Disney history, stuff that people don't really know or talk about, this is the book for you, man, because it drags you through it. It pulls you through the story. And before you know it, you're on page 50. You're like, whoa, easy read, very smooth and super interesting. Loved it. Anyway, thank you very much, everybody. Go to Patreon and do all the things. And you've heard me talk about it. Buy some shirts or not. I don't know. Until next time. We'll see you in the parts. <laughs>